What's up, guys? We are very glad to have you back for this edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, here with my co-host, Curtis, and today we have part two of the April listener mailbag. And yes, guys, I know, it's not April anymore. I get that. But uh, these are the last listener uh, questions that we got over the course of April, so we want to throw them at you here today and give you our take on what you guys were asking us. Uh, but first, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA, or you can email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, our social media door is always open for you guys, so feel free. I mean, seriously, guys, anytime, contact us with any questions, any thoughts you may have. Uh, and also, if it makes it a little more convenient for you, you can also find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, if you like the show, it would be awesome if you take just a second, if you have a free second, to subscribe to and review the show on iTunes or SoundCloud. It definitely help the show out a little bit as we continue to try to grow uh, here in the coming months as we head towards the 2017 season. Um, anyway, uh, Kurt, it was, a, it was a pretty, overall, it was a pretty rough weekend for us dogs out there, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, there, there's one bright, shining light that we'll get to in a second here, but, I mean, really, if you look at it, there's a couple of things that just wasn't the best weekend for us out there. I mean, West Georgia, if you look at the NFL draft, and if you, and if you guys have been Alive over the past couple weeks, I'm sure you've heard this, but West Georgia had more players drafted in the NFL draft over the weekend than we did. Uh, Elijah Holyfield gets popped for pop possession, and our baseball team continues to do what they do, and that is invent ways to lose games, getting swept by Florida. Although we were competitive against Florida, we still got swept, and that's kind of been the story. I think, well, we got five conference wins on the year now, like five and 16 overall in the conference. I mean, that, like that. that's no surprise, though. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's I think we've essentially now sealed our fourth straight losing season. And maybe one coaches. I don't know, man. We'll see. I, I I'm hearing mixed reviews on that. I'm hearing from some people that he's probably gone, and some people like, yeah, maybe not. Maybe he'll have to restructure his staff. It'll be brought back. I would expect. I mean, you saw them finally make a change on uh, gymnastics. With, uh, gymnastics, and they had been actually improving. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, until this year, I mean, we were dead last in civil A's this year in gymnastics, which is just unacceptable. But he's got, I think Strickland's got, what, $1.2 million left on his contract? And I'm here, you know you know how McGarity is, you know how tight he controls the purse strings, doesn't want to spend any, any extra cash and he has to, so I don't know, I'm not convinced he's going to be willing to pay, pay that $1.2 million when you've already fired one coach and you have to pay her when you just extended her last year. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe things are changing. We'll see. But uh, regardless, it wasn't on all those fronts. Wasn't the best weekend for us dogs out there. But as I mentioned a second ago, there was one beacon of light in our weekend. And look, as I know, it doesn't move the needle for most of you out there. But I'm going to mention it anyway because they deserve it. Uh, but our men's tennis team won the SEC tournament title in Knoxville Sunday. Yesterday, we're recording the show on Monday. Uh, and that's after winning our fifth straight SEC regular season title. And for those of you keeping count out there, that's our program's 41st overall SEC title. It's 31 regular season and now 10 SEC tournament titles. I mean, guys, that, that's just flat-out dominance. It, it doesn't get more dominant than that. I mean, we, we knocked off Florida in the semis on Saturday and then beat the Bizarro Dogs of Mississippi State. In a, it, was a, it was a thrilling match yesterday, guys. It really was. I mean, I know I keep saying this a lot when I talk about tennis, and you guys probably tune me out when I talk about tennis, but if you haven't made it out, guys, you've got to. It's, it's, it's an awesome afternoon to spend. I mean, really, it's suspenseful. It's thrilling. Uh, I actually I ran a marathon in Nashville on Saturday. So my wife and I, when we saw I, the first thing I did as soon as I finished the marathon, is I sat down, grabbed a Powerade, and pulled out my phone to see what the score was against Florida on Saturday. And we actually ended up winning, so we decided right then and there that we were going to Knoxville. So we headed over there. We made a detour coming home, 
about a three hour or so detour to Knoxville, took in the match, it was awesome. Uh, came down to the final match, Emil Reinberg came up with a clutch break to send the second set into a tiebreak where he then fought back from down 5-2 in the tiebreak to win that tiebreak 8-6 and clinch the victory. So it was awesome. I, I know it's not football, most of you probably don't care at all, um, but, and I, and I agree guys, you don't get the exact same feeling you get after a huge football win, but it was still pretty awesome to, to be there when we won the SEC title, so I just mentioned that because this is a time right now where there's a lot of very justified conversation regarding the relatively sad state of the overall athletic program here at Georgia. But our tennis program continues to set the standard and dominate. So I want to congratulate our guys out there and just remind you guys, if you don't know, the NCAA tournament is actually in Athens this year starting May 12th is when it starts. So come out, support our guys and the girls for that matter because they definitely deserve it. But uh, let's go ahead and move into what you all actually came here today for, and that is part two of the April Listener Mailbag. So, Kurt, you ready to roll with that? Yeah. All right, let's do this. So, the first question we have, and actually this was a late question. This was not uh, one of our original questions that we were, that we were going to roll out today. So, I don't I don't think I sent this to you in the agenda, Kurt, but we got, I got this one over the weekend after the draft and every, everything went down where we only had one player drafted, so I want to go ahead and start with this one because it's it's topical and it's, it's pretty relevant right now considering the draft just took place. But uh, the first question I got here for you today is, uh, what conclusions can you draw about the fact that more NFL draftees came from the state of Georgia than any other state, considering only one of those 29 players drafted uh, by NFL teams this season came from the University of Georgia? So, Kurt, what conclusions are you going to draw from that? So, more players than any other state in the country, came from Georgia, 29. I think Florida was next in line with 27. They, but they had like 20 million people in Florida, so proportionally, we had 29 players drafted, the most of any state, and we only have like 9 million people overall. So what conclusion are you going to draw from that? Um, the biggest thing was, you know, that the state of Georgia is very talent-rich, but at the same time, you know, people don't, or people kind of lose their mind when we don't land all these home state kids, but when you're looking at all the amount of these kids that are, you know, going out and getting drafted, you have to understand that we're not going to be able to land all these kids. While, but at the same time, if we land a good proportion of them, our team will be in a great situation, as you saw last year when we kind of killed it in state. Yeah, and it's a sheer numbers thing. Any given year, there's no way we can sign every single player that we want to sign in the state of Georgia. You just don't have the yeah, numbers. It, it, we have the 25. Now it's, it's a hard 25 limit right now in scholarships per year. Now there's ways you can manipulate that with counting back, you know, having early enrollees, so on and so forth. But SEC put this rule in place a couple years ago, 25. So you can't take everybody you want, but but there is still. I mean, you have to admit, even even if we could, we're not always going to land all those guys. We, you're, you're always going to miss on some of the guys you want. Um, but I think the first conclusion you drew there, it, it, and that's, that's it's important, it's accurate. This is an incredibly talent rich state, and for a long time, people have said, you know, Georgia's number in terms of all the talent producing states out there for football talent. Typically, Georgia's considered number four. You got California, you got Texas, you got Florida, and then Georgia right there. And well, I think the biggest thing is they just have the sheer numbers. But I think if you look at the proportionate wise, oh, we yeah. have more talent. Proportional, no doubt. I mean, like I said, our population is right around the nine, ten million mark, and we had more players than any other state in the country. Now, this is a one-year sample size, but even if it's you looking in the past years, it's it's maybe not the we don't have the most players drafted in every single year, but we're we're up there. We have a lot of players drafted, so I think. 
on one hand, one conclusion you can draw is that we're always going to be in a position to be a really good football program just because there's so much talent in this state. There's no reason that we cannot and should not be competing year in and year out because of the raw materials, the football talent that we have in this state on an annual basis. Now, some years the talent's going to be up. Sometimes it's going to be down, relatively speaking. But every single year, there are players in this state and enough that we should be able to get our fair share and be competitive in the conference and on a national scale, in my opinion, every single year. you agree with that? Um, yeah, I do. And, you know, what also showed me is, you know, I got to say it, but how bad our last staff did at judging talent. Right, and that's the other side of this, right? So one side is positive. Yes, we should be good every year because the talent is here. But we haven't been dominant every year. We haven't been in the conversation every year. So why is that? I mean, I think at the times you look at the ta- uh, the players, like you saw people like Evan Ingram who was very, very, you know – some of these guys are, are diamonds in the rough that we that. And then you also, I mean, I think the biggest thing that flabbergasted me was Brendan Langley. Well, I, honestly, dude, I wasn't remotely surprised because talent-wise, Brendan Langley. I, okay, I shouldn't say I wasn't remotely surprised. It was somewhat surprising to see him go in the third round. But well, no, it was I, I never a talent question. The, mis, the, mis, the mishandling our staff did with him. Oh yeah, so yeah, you know, he he comes in, plays a good bit his first year, then kind of gets in the doghouse, doesn't play at all. Um, talking about maybe receiver, maybe cornerback. Then he comes in, he plays at Missouri. Was it two, three, well, three years ago now, right? He gets to start at Missouri. This is, I think that was the game that Chubb, yeah, it was. It was the game that Chubb jumped on the scene, right? Remember that? At Missouri, Gurley, you know, he, uh, he's out. Chubb comes in and kind of just explodes on the scene there with a hundred plus yard game, workman's type day. Uh, and then that kind of just started the, the Nick Chubb legend there. But little little well remembered here is the day that Brendan Langley had. The dude was flying around the day and played really well. But he gets in trouble again, gets in the doghouse again, and is never heard from, transfers to Lamar, and still finds his way into the NFL. And that's just one example from that, what, the, the 2013 class, you know, that the attrition was just ridiculous. Um, but... I think part of his misevaluation. I think part of it's attrition, right? Like guys like Langley, Trey Matthews, and the, and the the list in that class goes on and on and on. But that's part of it. But why on some of these guys that we're missing out of high school that go to our rivals, whether it's Auburn, whether it's Alabama, whether it's Tennessee, some of these are Florida maybe sometimes. Well, Florida doesn't really come to Georgia all that much and, and steal from us. More so Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, and. Why why are we losing some of the guys that we want to those teams? And recently, LSU's been taking some guys. I got to say, I think it goes back to our our staff, our administration, our facilities, and our history. While we, you know, while we diehard love Georgia football, they have better history. I mean, LSU's won two national championships. And I wouldn't say LSU has better history. They have better recent history. They've been more well, relevant recently. Going back to the recent 2000 history. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, their facilities are just top-notch, better than ours. Oh, and it, it's yeah. not just it's not just football. I mean, you look at almost all their, especially South Carolina has passed us in almost every aspect of facilities. LSU, you except look for their, the football the, stadium, but yes, I would agree. With I mean, the football stadium is still nice. It's close enough to Sanford to where everything else just blows us away, and that's it's that way with a lot of programs, and that makes a big statement to these recruits when they go on visits because they see it's just not them buying into football, but everything else. We are definitely playing catch up, and we mentioned that last week. You're right, we are playing catch up. I would still debate you on Williams Bryce. William Bryce is a trash pit. But, I mean, it's a trash, but it's but everything else, they, they, they have a better basketball facility than us. They have a better, a much better baseball facility. Well, um, I think they have a better in-game atmosphere, home atmosphere than we do because I mean they have sandstorm things like that, which you have nothing known for with Georgia like that. 
We don't have anything like that, but we have some cool traditions. You know, the battle hymn I like. I mean, we have cool traditions, but I think at the same time... Uh, well, Sanford's not really, a, a truly raucous game-in, game-out environment. Now, for the big yeah, games, it's, it's especially crazy. Especially when, you know, it's a big-time part in the game, and you're playing, like, 1970s music. And you have the, the sit-down crowd. You have that crowd. When recruits are there, that doesn't pump them up. I uh, know it does. I mean, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, man. I mean, our, our, our facilities are behind. We're, we're trying to catch up slowly but surely, uh, but we are behind against some of those programs. I think that's, I think, so I think that's a big part of it. I also want to throw in this as well. The Metro Atlanta area, where a lot of these players are contracted. Now, we have, we have players all over Georgia, but the Metro Atlanta area has a ton of them. A lot of those guys are transplants. They are not native Georgians. They move. They, they their families move in for job opportunities. For yeah, and a for, lot of them are transient. Right, they're tra- it's a very transient population in the metro Atlanta area. So those guys don't have that dyed in the wool, fully ingrained. I'm a Georgia Bulldog through and through thing. You don't. Not everybody. Ha- now there are some guys out there like that. You have the, the Nate McBrides, the Jake Fromms. You have some guys I mean, like but that. But those are closer to South Georgia than right. Metro, exactly. Exactly. Think about the metro Atlanta area. And guys, look, I, I I've worked in the metro Atlanta area in in high schools for a long time. And I can tell you, I don't. I can't sit here and say most. I don't have the raw numbers, but a lot of those students are transients. They come in from other states and they leave. You know, it, it, it happens. So especially when you're talking about some of the, I don't want to make this a class thing, but there are. Let's just face it. Some of the guys that we're going after in recruiting, they come from impoverished backgrounds, and a lot of those people, a lot of those families are transient. They are. They just move around from opportunity to opportunity where they arise. So they don't necessarily have that, you know, I'm a native Georgian. They don't have that that pride in state. They don't feel that like you and I do as people who are born and bred in Georgia, and I would never, ever even consider living anywhere else. I'll visit places, but I always want to come back home. It's not necessarily home to them. It's just the place where they reside, you know? And yeah. I, so and that, that I think that hurts us because we, we can't pitch to some of these guys like, hey, stay home and play for the home team. You can say, well, it's closer for your mom and dad to come watch you, but you – Pitching like pulling the heartstrings, like, hey man, come home, represent your state. That 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 means nothing to them. It's not like Alabama, you know. It's it's hard. We have trouble getting guys out of Alabama, right? Like Mac Wilson a couple years ago when Kirby got on the job and tried to pull him out of Alabama. It's not going to happen because nobody moves to Alabama for job opportunities. If you live in Alabama, chances are more often than not you are born there, right? Yeah. Because I mean, who's going to move to Alabama? Nobody, right? People want to move to Georgia. It's a great state. You move to the metro Atlanta area because there's job opportunities. It's a, it's a really nice area for the most part. So those guys, you know, in Alabama and Tennessee, more often than not, those guys stay at home because they are natives of those areas. Not always the case in Georgia, which I, I think plays against us. So it, it, it certainly it, it bothers me when I see those numbers. 29 players drafted from the state of Georgia, one from the University of Georgia. That bothers me. But I also think you can look on the bright side and say it's a cup half full kind of thing and say, well, that means we should be contending on a year in year out basis the talents here. If we get the right guy on the job recruiting these players, the right staff out there, we should be a contender every single year. But the question is, and we still have to we have to answer this. I mean, we've got a one year sample size. Is Kirby Smart that guy? Is he the guy that's gonna get enough of those guys? You're never gonna completely lock down the state of Georgia. And people said Kirby's gonna come in and lock down Georgia. Do you think that's realistic? Because I don't. No, not it, just because like Atlanta is the, the, like you said the center of the southeast more or less right. so you have a lot of these kids moving in and out for for work and things like that so it's hard to lock down the state and as we, it is yeah and, you, and one other thing we didn't mention too you talk about transit you talk about facilities think about all the rival schools in the SEC that, that border Georgia you got Florida right. you got Auburn. South Carolina you got Auburn you got Alabama you got Tennessee 
Uh, you got even I mean, North Carolina is not in is not in the SEC, but that they, they still try to recruit Georgia. Everybody in the SEC recruits Georgia. Everybody, and we have so many states that border us, which is not necessarily the case for for all for the other states, and they don't have the in, the ingrown home talent there. So I, I want to I th- I think Kirby's the guy to eventually get it done. Uh, but we're not going to – I don't think we'll ever lock the doors because of all the reasons we mentioned there. All the bordering states, um, the facility issues. So we're trying to catch up on, but more so for me is the transient nature of the population in the in the most populated part of the state. Uh, but uh, I do want to look at it half full and say we should be competitive year in, year out. We just got to – we got to do a better job. Uh, we we kind of fell off towards the end of the Rick era, and we're still feeling that pain. And that's why we had one guy drafted in that 2013 class. Now, we, we – in all fairness, we probably would have had a couple more drafted if Lorenzo and Davin come out, and of course Nick and Sony if they come out, but they didn't. So we had one guy drafted, Georgia State or a George or West Georgia has two guys drafted. That's embarrassing. It should, that should never happen, never, ever. I mean, just not. It should. It should. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on here. Question number two. We have a couple of questions here about wide receivers, uh, who kind of I think people are kind of curious about the wide receivers. Some of these guys flashed a little bit at G Day a couple weekends ago. So the first question here is. Our second question, I should say, what wide receiver do you think will what wide receivers, I'm sorry, do you think will be regular contributors for us this year? So I guess in the rotation, seeing consistent playing time. I mean, I'm gonna start right away with uh, Javon Wims, Riley Ridley, and Terry Godwin. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably our starting three right now. I mean, I know Ridley didn't play uh, G Day because he was hurt pretty much all spring. Came like a little bit towards the end there. It looked he might or might not be suspended for the first game. I don't know. He had that marijuana arrest. We'll see. I don't know how that's going to go down, uh, but still, I think definitely whether he's suspended or not for that first game, uh, I got Ridley in there, got Wims, you got Godwin, so who else is going to back those guys up and kind of be in that two-deep rotation? Um, I'm expecting to see Nicole take a step forward. I think he's the second best. Or, I mean, if Terry hadn't been showing out so well, he might he might be able to work himself. He would have been, but I think he's going to be that number two in the slot. I think that's yeah. the position for him. I think you see Hall. I think it's going to come down to the freshman and the, and someone like Tyler Simmons, Hallman Simmons. I think those guys are better than what we have right now. I um, I'm with you, and I, I don't. I know this is like a, a cop out answer, or people are going to see it that way. But I'm just trying to be accurate. This is how I feel it's going to come down. I think everybody you saw out there at G Day on the first string, which was. Godwin, uh, Javon Wims, and Ridley wasn't out there, but we're going to put Ridley in there. I know Chigbu was out there, but Chigbu's – I mean, he might get in there in certain situations for blocking purposes, but I don't think he's going to be a major factor. But those three, and then the, the guys you saw on the two, you know, that Fromm was throwing to, Simmons, Hallman, Mecole, I think those are going to be the six guys that are going to get consistent playing time throughout the year. I think that, sure, Yeah, this is throughout the year. You know, you might see Stanley and – Chigbu kind of start um, off getting some reps, but I don't see it lasting because I think their opportunity is going to pass by. Right, Chigbu and Stanley are going to play. They'll be in there. Um, but if you're if, if the question is, who do you think is going to be regular contributors, just because you're out there doesn't mean you're contributing, in my opinion. Uh, so I don't at, at this point, I'm not going to count on Stanley or Chigbu contributing. I think Stanley has a better chance, I mentioned this last week, to end up contributing than Chigbu does because Stanley has ability. He just has trouble catching the football. It's in his head right now, it seems like. Uh, but I, I think the safer bet would say what you saw for the most part there at G-Day with, with Wims, Ridley, Godwin, Simmons, Hallman, Mecole, and then maybe we'll see what Mark Webb does when he gets in here. He's a guy that's that's got some size that we've been covering. Yeah, he, he, of, the, of the other um, you know commits or guys coming in. class, guys coming in, he's probably the most ready to go ahead of Trey Blunt and uh, Matt Landers. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that, definitely. So, yeah, and let's say of those guys uh, that are – that we're working with the two unit. 
with uh, with Jake Fromm out there at G-Day, Simmons, Holloman, Miko, which one of those three, and this wasn't part of the question, I'm just going to throw this one out a little bit of an extension here. Which one of those three would you predict right now having the biggest impact on the 2017 season? Um, Probably Simmons because yeah. he got a few reps last year. Um, He brings a little bit more to the table experience-wise and his uh, skill set. I I actually agree with you on that. I want to say Miko's. I think Miko can be an absolute Yeah, I'd love to say Miko, but I think Simmons has taken – see, he's – I mean, you can see how he's – Made his body bigger, um, yeah. things like that. Dude, Simmons, he's he's basically a running back that plays wide receiver. He look, he's he's a running back. Dude. He looks like if you look at him, like yeah, that dude plays running back. But he actually goes out there and plays wide receiver. And I saw him. You know, obviously we saw him at GD. I saw him at the first scrimmage. He really stood out to me in that first scrimmage. If you guys remember back to that show that I came back and recorded um, after that, I was raving about him. And so both times I saw him this spring, he looked really good. Now he dropped a couple passes to GD. I get that, but. The explosiveness is there. The ability to get open, to get separation. Um, I, I really like what he brings to the table, and we didn't. And he's got playmaking ability. So does Miko. I'm really intrigued by what Miko can bring to the table. But you're right in saying that right now Simmons has just a, a year. He's got a year ahead of him in the system in terms of knowing what to do and playing that position. Miko is still very raw as a receiver, as a true playmaker. Miko is out of this world. But yeah, he's got to learn that position. Yeah, he's got to learn that position. Now he can go out there and run an option route, run those, run those little whip routes. I mean, that's that's easy. But there's more to it than that. And if for him to be a true consistent contributor, he's got to be able to do more than just that. He's got to, uh, which I think he will. I think he will. Kirby talks about how quick of a learner he is, but he's just he's got to get time in the system before that that actually ends up happening. But I think the future is very bright for all those guys. Hallman included. I really like Hallman as well. Uh, all right, uh, next question here about wide receivers. Now, this is an interesting question because um, I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll throw it out there. Will we have a 1,000-yard wide receiver on the year? What would you say to that? I'm going to say no because we don't have just that one go-to horse like some programs do. Right. Um, I want to I th- I say our last 1,000-yard receiver was AJ. Uh, um, that would be incorrect, actually. Maybe is it only, No, this is why this is why I say no. We've only had one one thousand yard receiver in the history of Georgia football, and that was a thousand and four yards. Terrence Edwards in two thousand two. See exactly things like that show you that it's not very common in college football, especially with you know Georgia. We try, you know we try to feed, we feature our backs, and while I think we are going to throw more this season and throw more wide open system, not you know just straight pro. I think we might be in the spray a little bit more. I think we have a, quite a few weapons. I mean, you got guys out of the backfield like Sony, and you've got um, uh, you know three guys who can make plays in the receiver core. I don't think we have to focus on any one guy that's going to get all the balls thrown his way. Yeah. And I'll just say this: If we have a thousand yard receiver this year, we're winning the national championship. I mean, with the with the running backs we have, if we have a receiver that emerges somehow and be, and becomes or develops into the, the kind of guy that's a thousand yard receiver, uh, we're going to win the national championship with that kind of threat, that run pass threat. There, there's just I, 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 I you can't convince me that we that we wouldn't if that's the case. But I, I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's going to happen. I wish it would, but you're right. Like. Do we have that one dominant receiver that's going to be a thousand yard guy? No. I mean, if you had to guess, who would be the closest to that? I don't know. Uh, Probably Wims, just because he can take the deep ball. Yeah, because you're gonna have to get a thousand yards in this offense. You're gonna have to get some chunk plays, man. Um, yeah, you're gonna have to. And I think Wims is the guy that 
could get down the field. I mean, he's the guy that we're going to look to do I mean, that. you saw it on G-Day. He's the one that had that deep 60-yard catch over the guy. Right. I mean, and, and la- towards the end of last year, when we wanted to take a vertical shot down the field, we were trying to hit him. We hit him a couple of times late in the season, one in particular against Kentucky, but we couldn't consistently consistently uh, hit him down the field because Eason was having trouble with his accuracy in those deep balls, clearly, which was well-documented. But I don't know, man. Just 1,000 yards has happened once in Georgia history. I don't think that this is the receiving core that's ready to do. I think we have a, a lot of really good options out there, but that's going to just spread the ball around. We don't have that one truly dominant guy. So I, I think the answer is, for me, it's clearly no there. be awesome if it would happen, but no. And, and seriously, guys, like A.J. Green, if A.J. Green didn't have 1,000 yards receiving, then I don't think anyone on this team is going to. Because A.J. Green is the second best player I've ever seen with my own two eyes. And he, I mean, AJ was, God, he was incredible, man. Dude, just freaking incredible. So I would say no on that. Uh, all right, but anyway, next question. Let's get out of the wide receivers. All right, this is kind of topical, too. We mentioned Holyfield at the outset of the show and how he got arrested for pot possession. Less than an ounce, mind you, which is uh, to hold on the story. But I guess he did break the law, you know, got to say that. But uh, the question here is, what do you make out of what you saw from Elijah Holyfield at G-Day? Is he more likely to be a contributor this season or a transfer option at the end of the season? Um, I think the one thing you saw was definitely what we've always said about him is he had a lot better vision of, you know, Harriam, while, you know, the offensive line wasn't creating many holes, he what he did not do a good job of seeing the, seeing the field, doing cuts and things like that. He would just run right into full holes where you saw Holyfield, like on that touchdown run he had, it was it was packed up the middle, so he just bounced outside real quick with a quick cut. He's got that and insane it, jump cut. That ability to move laterally is, like, he does a great job of pressing line of scrimmage and forcing defenders to commit. And then once they commit, he has that lateral ability to make that crazy jump cut and get outside of them for huge gains. Exactly, and that's the one thing Harriam really lacks in his game. I think it's his vision and his footwork. He's got to he, work he, on that. He'll try sure. to run by you or run over you, but that's the one thing where Holyfield does have a little bit better, which even you know, if he comes back and he's on the coach's good sides, I think the more reps he got, the better he could be. I think he's also a better receiver out of the backfield. I agree with almost everything you said there. I... I and look, I, I'm not ready to make a declarative statement one way or the other there, but the receiver of that backfield, I think Kirby might disagree with you on that. Because if, over the course of spring, we're talking about how Harrion is kind of like is more like Sony, and he's a guy that can line up outside. You want to use him a little bit more that way. And I don't know, maybe we'll see. I I always thought that that uh, Holyfield was a really good guy out of the backfield on screens. That's, so I'm with you like in what I always thought about him coming out of high school. But Kirby seems to say that Harrion might be the kind of guy we're going to use that way. But I don't know. We'll see how it plays out this season. But you know, you know me. Like I've been on Holyfield for a long time, right? Like yeah. this is a guy that I that I, I think is gonna be a really good player for us if he can just don't be stupid don't get hurt and then don't be stupid and smoke pot in your freaking dorm room dude like if you want to smoke pot like dude by all means it's against the law but come I mean like it's it's a ridiculous law in my opinion just that's just me like, I'm not trying to get political it's just it's just stupid in this day and age but it's still technically illegal so number one you gotta know who you are you are a I don't want to say he's a public figure yet, but you are a recognizable figure at the state's flagship university, a major university in the Southeastern Conference. You're a football player, a running back who's a visible, it's a visible position. Now he hasn't made it big yet, but you just got to be smarter than that, man. And to do it in your dorm room, if you're going to smoke weed, Jesus, dude, do not do it in your dorm room. Please do not do it in your dorm room. Come on, be smarter than that. Um, so if he can stay out of those situations, I, I think on the field he's a, going to be a really good player. I, I, I still I I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with him, and I like him more than I like Harrion for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned. I think 
Uh, Harry and Strings, he runs with good power. He's aggressive out there. Uh, he, he's got a, he's got some good burst to his game as well. But Holyfield is underrated with his power as well. I, I, I like how he runs low to the ground. He runs with good leverage. I love his lateral ability. I think Harrion might be a, a little bit faster straight line speed. I think that's also one of the most overrated aspects to a running back's game. Uh, I also like the burst that, that Holyfield shows. So if, if you had to ask me, is he more likely to be a contributor this season or a transfer option? Look, I don't think it's going to be either one. I don't think he's going to be a major contributor this season just because we have Sony and Nick coming back. But I also think he's going to transfer at the end of this season. So I don't know which way to go. But if I had to if I had to pick one, I would say he's more likely to be a contributor this season. I just don't think he's going to be gone after this year. Because he knows what's going to be ahead of him. It's going to be an open competition once Nick and Sony leave. And he'll be right there with an opportunity to be the next guy. We'll see if it's going to be him, Harrion, uh, DeAndre Swift, maybe Zeus if we end up landing Zamir White. Hopefully, God willing, fingers crossed. We'll see how that happens. But it'll be an open competition. So I think he's more likely to be a contributor this season. But I love what I saw at Holyfield. I think he's going to be a really good player for us if he can just stay on the field. Um, all right, well, last question about a running back. We'll move on a little bit. Do we redshirt a running back this year? And if so, who? Um, while it could, the case could be made, I don't see us doing that. I think they've openly said they're going to try to get Swift in the different situations other than running back. And he's a guy that could contend for some return game stuff. And, you know, slot. Things yeah, absolutely. Like that. Yeah, I mean, I, and I know we've heard. We, you're right. We've heard some some talk about him potentially playing the slot. I think going back to like before signing day when he gave an interview, um, he mentioned uh, I, just off the cuff a little bit about our coaches that approached him about you know first year kind of get him on the field in that slot position. Maybe that's going to happen. I don't know, but I think with Sony coming back, I don't, and with the tight ends that we have, I don't know how much we'll see him out there. I'm not going to just say we're not going to see that, but I don't know how often we'll see that. I think he has a better chance to get on the field in the return game. Uh, but I think he'll, he'll probably get some carries this year. When if, if he's as good as advertised, you don't redshirt him. And we learned that with No Sean. Remember, remember that a couple of years was that 2007? Yeah. Or, yeah. You or was, I think we redshirted him the 2006 season, and he burst on the, on the scene in 2007. You only get him for two years. If a guy can help your team win, even if he's not going to play as much as a freshman, you get him on the field in whatever way he can do, that you can to help you help your team win. And I think he's the kind of talent that you can do that. And I don't see us redshirting Harrion. Uh, I know he played last year. He's still redshirting this year. I don't see us redshirting Holyfield. Chances are, you know, with, with the running back position, injuries happen. People get banged up. Chances are, somewhere down the down their line, we're going to need these guys. So, I would say we probably don't. I'm agree with that. We don't redshirt a running back this year. I don't. If we did, who would you think would be the best candidate? Uh, it's a tough one. Probably. I don't know. Either Holyfield or Swift. Yeah, I guess if I had to pick one, it'd be Swift because he's just the guy coming in as a freshman. But I, I don't. I still don't think that's going to happen. All right, uh, next question here. Let's move on. This one's about special teams, which is uh, definitely one of the concerns I have for this team moving into the 2017 season. Still a concern. How worried should we be at Blankenship's inconsistency in the kicking game? Uh, very worried. Because I think it's one of those things that when he starts missing, the pressure is going to be turned that much much higher on him because of his dad. As, as unfair as it is, I think it will realistically happen. Yeah, and that's one thing I don't think his dad has really thought this through. I mean, how— you and I were talking about this at G Day when he was missing some of those kicks. His dad is putting; he's the one putting the undue pressure on on Rodrigo. Like when you go out there and call Kirby out trying to get a scholarship for your son, okay, that's I guess that's your prerogative. I don't agree with it, but I guess that's your prerogative. But by doing that, by taking it to the press like that, think about the pressure that puts on Rodrigo. Can you imagine that kind of pressure if you were him? Uh, it's a lot, dude. I I, I think it's ridiculous, man. I just dad, just come on, man. That's just dumb. But yeah, I'm concerned about it. Now, I will say, let's. We always say about these spring games, don't read into what you see too much. I think you can say the same thing about the kicking game. Now, 
would I have rather him make all those kicks? Of course. But, I mean, what, he missed one that was 49. That's understandable. I'd like for him to be able to make those more consistently. But you understand him missing. I think he missed one that was 40. Now, the extra points are ridiculous. Can't miss those. But he didn't miss any of those last year. And he was relatively consistent as a place kicker last year. Now, he, he didn't hit every kick, but he hit most of them. He won. You know, the Kentucky game was huge. Um, but for me, the inconsistency that still is most concerning is kickoffs. It's still a problem. He cannot get the ball in the end zone with any sort of consistency. Now, G-Day, the win was a factor out there, sure. But it goes back to last year, too. That was what held me up with him more than anything. And that's why I don't think he deserves a scholarship right now. If you can't put the ball in the end zone as a kickoff guy consistently, I don't know if you deserve a scholarship until you can prove you can do that. So, to me, that's a problem. We've got to put the ball in the end zone and get touchbacks on a fairly consistent basis. And he hasn't proven to be able to do that. We've got some guys coming out. David Marvin coming in from Wofford as a graduate transfer. Maybe he'll put some pressure on our, on Rodrigo. I don't know. We'll see. But it, it's certainly something that I'm concerned with right now, that, that inconsistency. All right, next question. I like this question. Um, Long term, between LeCount and Gibbs, who will occupy the free and strong safety spots? And then where does Trey Bishop fit into that equation? Um, I think you could see more of probably if you're going off right now, it's random, but you could probably say give strong, account free, and bishop star. If you're gonna just name three, really? right? you're going bishop star, or, or you could switch out bishop and account at star. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, I would I I would go a little bit different. I would go with Gibbs at star. I think his body type, I mean, you and I were remarking at how big he looks right now as a true freshman, as an early enrollee true freshman. Been on campus for a couple of months. I think he's proto, he's the prototype for the star position. Get in there, kind of mix it up if, if you need to in the run game, but can also be a guy that can cover slot receivers. I think that's where he fits best. But, I, I mean, he, he can play safety too. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I just I think, him, I, he, I, th- I, think I think it's just the fact of having like a – a headhunter out there like him because he's so physical. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, that's true for sure. But LeCount can do that too, though. I mean, right? I, I, he's one of those oh, yeah, guys but like your... said, Gibbs is bigger, strong. He is bigger. He is bigger. He is bigger. There's no doubt about that. Bishop, why, why do you like Bishop in the star? Just curiously. Uh, because he's got a body type a little bit similar to Gibbs. He's got the height, no doubt. He's just got to put some. I mass think he'll on be it. a little bit stronger and bigger than uh, LeCount. Yeah, he's definitely got a better uh, frame than LeCount does right now. I mean, he's just got he's got to fill it out. He's thin right now, but I mean, he could, yeah, he could fit, easily fill that out and, and play that position. I, I think honestly, I think all three of them are pretty interchangeable. Uh, I think all three of them could play star. I think they could play free or strong. But and we also have to factor in this with with Kirby's defense. He you have to kind of eschew the traditional strong and free safety idea because he basically plays a right and a left safety. He doesn't really designate them strong and free like would traditionally. Um, but if we're going in the traditional sense, I would say Gibbs would be more of the strong safety traditionally, whereas LeCount would be more of your free safety. And then I, I would put Gibbs – not Gibbs. I would put um, Bishop also more as a free safety. But if I'm if I'm putting the lineup out, and this is just me based on what we've seen right now, which is admittedly not very much at all with these guys. You have two of them early enrollees. One hasn't even stepped foot on campus yet. But if I'm projecting a forward, I would probably say Gibbs at star – LeCount at free safety. No, I'd say LeCount at strong safety and Bishop at free safety. That's what I would say. But, hey, it's a lot of football for them to get, for those guys to play and practice before we figure that out. But uh, it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out because I think they all can kind of interchange there. 
Uh, next question here. No, we talked about Easton a little bit last show, uh, which is obviously you had to come out in G-Day. But we had another question about him here, so we'll go and throw it at you guys. Uh, some fans say Easton is not where he needs to be. It's only been four months since last season, and, f- and there's only four left until next season. So can Jacob Eason get there? Can he be the quarterback that we need him to be in the 2017 season? How do you see that? Um, I think you could say yeah because he has been improved. He's been showing improvement. Um, I mean, it's one of these things that I think also are the unreal expectations that were attached next to him while coming in. Yeah, I mean, look, he's not. If you're asking me, is Eason going to be a finished product in the next four months? The answer is no. Like he's not going to be. Will he be improved? I mean, look at Stafford. Stafford had a good sophomore year, yeah, but he was more polished come junior year. Yeah, and Stafford's still not a finished product in the NFL. He's getting there. He had a, he took some big steps this year um, without Calvin Johnson there and just kind of spreading the ball around, becoming a true field general. But he's still learning. So to say that Jacob Eason's going to be a finished product, if that's what if that's what the question's kind of getting at, no. Will he be improved this season? Yeah, I, right? I mean, I think we saw that yeah, at G-Day. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know exactly what the question to ask. I mean, is, is he going to be the perfect thing? No, and I don't think that happens in college much. Um, yeah, and I, and I guess it comes down to how do you how you define where he needs to be, because that's what the question says. Some fans I say Easton is not where he needs to be. he'll be more of a leader with more more control of the offense than he did last year. I think he'll be more accurate and you know better knowing better where to go with the ball while understanding what defenses are doing to him. Yeah, and I guess let me ask you, it's trying to define where he needs to be. So in 2017, for us to compete for titles, whether it's the SEC or playoff spots, national titles, where does Jacob Eason need to be? What does he need to be able to do for us to put ourselves in that position? Um, he needs to be more accurate with the ball. Um, I think he needs to also just have more control of the offense and understand what teams are doing. Like, you know, controlling the huddle, controlling the line of scrimmage, being able to see, see things in audible if needed be, while also just, you know, spreading the ball around, not taking sacks and things, you know, not taking the big losses. I think if you can stop, if you can control how many, if you cut that down on the big losses and, you know, don't put yourself deep for second, third down and, where teams know you're passing and things like that, then the offense won't sputter and we'll be able to move the ball a little bit better. I agree. And I think he showed progress this spring, don't you? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, you could see he was reading the, the field a lot better and, was, you know, he was getting rid of the ball quicker than, you know, he still he still needs to get a little bit quicker, but he was he was getting ball rid of the ball quicker, seeing the ball the field better. You need to see he was throwing it in the tighter windows and being more accurate in his throws at least giving his guys the opportunity to make plays on the ball. Yeah, I saw him in two settings, two different scrimmage settings, and he was infinitely more accurate in both settings. I know his G-Day numbers, what, 16 of 36, something like that, would not seem to indicate that, under 50% completion percentage, but a lot of that had to do with us chucking balls down the field in those two-minute situations where he was getting a lot of pressure, the defense could pin their ears back and come after him, and he kind of panicked back there and, and just threw some balls away. So, and there were quite a few drops as well. But in terms of deep ball accuracy, he was putting the ball on, on the money a lot more consistently than he was at any point last year. And I saw that in the first scrimmage as well. So he's definitely making strides. Still got a long way to go. I, 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 I think I don't think you're wrong in saying that he's getting better at getting rid of the ball. But that I think to me that's still where he has to improve the most. Uh, when he gets under pressure, he he just I don't I don't want to say pan- it, it's weird. He doesn't panic. Like he's in crunch time situations, he's he's got those ice cold well, veins. The thing in the scrimmage, you know, like, it's the thing that as soon as he gets touched, he's down. So I think he's just trying to get rid of it to at least give yeah. his guys an opportunity. Yeah, and for me, it's just like he almost waits 
too long for the plays to develop down the field. When you're in those situations, you got to first recognize the blitz is coming, recognize where the pressure is coming from. You got to second know where to go with it, and then third, just get get it to that checkdown guy. He did that, and on some occasions, you and I remarked about that at the game. There were some times where it's like, yeah, dude, that's exactly what we need you to do. We need you to we need to see you do that more consistently. But there were also times where the checkdown was there. And he didn't take it. He was waiting a little too Sometimes long in the pocket for that play to develop. It is with the coaching, you know, because they know what Sony and Chubb can do out of catching the ball out of the backfield and things like that. Sometimes you also got to wonder, I mean, what his directions were coming into the game. That's fair. We don't know. That's true. We don't have because, the Because, I mean, he threw it to them a couple times, but I don't think the coaches wanted, were particularly interested in them catching the ball out of the backfield a bunch of taking some hits either. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I think you got to factor that as well. But yeah, I I I think he's in. I think he can be good enough this year to give us a chance to win championships. He's not going to be perfect, he, and we shouldn't expect that. He's not going to be a finished product. He's still going to drive you crazy sometimes. He's going to throw interceptions. It's going to happen. He's going to throw into double coverage and have those moments where you're saying, "Dude, what are you doing?" He's going to miss a deep ball here and there that could that could be a huge gain for us. But I I think he's taking strides in the right direction. He's going to continue to do so over the next four months. And I think by the time the 2017 season rolls around, he's going to be in firm command of this team. Uh, and I think he's going to be ready to lead us to an SC, at least an SEC East title. I don't know if that really matters. I think a division title, but I think we will get us to Atlanta, and we'll see what happens from there. We'll see, but I think he is moving in the right direction. All right, last question here. Well, we talked about the 2018 class uh, last week with the first listener mailbag. We had a couple questions about that because we had some decommitments and some some guys that we've been missing on. There hadn't been a lot of positive news. Um, but we ha- had another question here over the weekend, and, and it's this. Uh, I know it's still early, but do we still have a shot at a top 10 recruiting class for 2018, even with all the negative news that's surrounding this class? How do you see that? I think it may be top 10, no higher than 7 or 8, because I think it's just the fact that we're not going to be taking as many recruits as some of these other programs will be. Well, I think it's a f- partly that, yes. I think we're not going to... The numbers aren't going to be what we had last year. I think we're probably going to. I mean, we'll and we see. don't have some of these top liars like Trevor Lawrence, right. Emory Jones, right? Some Jones, of those like top that. line guys in the state of Georgia that we were after are already off the board. Those three quarterbacks: Fields, Jones, and Lawrence. Although I'm hearing some positive news that you know Fields might be at least somewhat open to us. He's still listening. He's not completely a thousand percent committed to Penn State. We'll see. I, I still say that's a long shot. Uh, but anyway. So those guys, the factor of those guys not being there, and combine that with, like you said, we're not going to take as many guys. You know, we'll see how the, how attrition plays out. But right now, our numbers probably be around the twenty two range, somewhere around there. Um, so top five, I don't think so at all. I don't think we're going to have a shot for that. It would take a miraculous turnaround. But I think top ten is still very doable. Because if you look at some of the guys that are still on the table out there, first you get Jamari Sal, you're a top ten guy nationally. Um, Trey Hill, a top 50 guy nationally. I would say that we both, by all accounts, seem to we lead for both those guys right now. Uh, two interior offensive linemen can be interchangeable, guard center there. We lose Adam Anderson. That hurts. Um, we picked up Chris Smith today at wide, uh, as, a, as a corner, which is a guy that, that's – I'm really – I don't think he's going to be a really good player for us and give us some depth at cornerback. i uh, got some receivers out there, Kyrus Jackson, uh, Marquez Ezard. you got some of the guys out there, Josh Van. There's some names out there for us to get. Potentially a KJ Henry, who who, who we're still after heavily, as uh, a pass rusher out of North Carolina. There's some names out there that are high profile guys that we could land or could flip down the road that could vault this class in the top ten. We just gotta get some momentum. Once we start building the momentum, then things can start to happen. Trey Dean's another guy that could be close to committing here uh, at some point. But oh, and how can I forget Zamir White? If we land the number one running back in the country, and by all accounts, we lead pretty significantly for him right now. If we land him. 
absolutely this, we have a chance to be a top 10 class. Um, in fact, I would say, if you had to predict right now, does this class end up in the top 10? Yeah. I say, to, yeah, right there on the fringe. Right there on the fringe. But I would say yes. If I had to predict right now, based on the information that we have at this point, and recruiting is a very fluid monster. But I would say, yeah, we, we find our way into the, the edges there of the top 10. All right, guys, that's all we have for you here today. Hope you enjoyed it. We always enjoy doing these listener mailbag shows, and we appreciate you guys sending all your questions in. Uh, so that does it for the April mailbag, but we're take, we always take questions, so send them in anytime you have a question or topic you want us to discuss over the course of this next month here in May. Send them to us, Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can send it uh, via email, gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, answer any questions you guys may have, at least to the best of our ability. Uh, but for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Check back with us later this week, guys. We'll have another show for you here on Thursday. As always, go dogs.